And I think that if we are not starting a conversation on how do we abolish the police and start again, I don't, it's just, it's a dead end. I'm sorry. Like, I don't believe that the Met Police in its current form can be reformed. So any initiative or any conversation or any board or whatever that seeks to rehabilitate or reform the police, to me, is a dead end. It's not going to go anywhere. And we will be here again next year. Hey everyone, welcome to the Black Canvas podcast. I hope you're all doing really, really well. This is episode 21. Apologies, my loves. We have been away for a couple of weeks, but you know, life, we've just been getting on with life. There's been a lot going on, um, but we are so glad to be here with you all today. I hope you're all doing well, as I said. So Dems, how are we feeling today? I am feeling good, surprisingly good mainly because I've got two weeks off next week, so I won't be working. Yeah, I feel good. I cannot complain. I love it. And moving on, do we have a highlight of the week then? My highlight of the week will be looking forward to the next two weeks of not going to work, not doing anything work-related. Mm-hmm. Not having an alarm, all that not good stuff. Not having an alarm, even though I'm still going to wake up, wake up at 6.30 anyway, because my body just wants to be silly every morning and wake up mm. early early but yeah I'm just looking forward to just like taking the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. as it comes we're going to be doing some painting and decorating to the flat mm-hmm. um, I'm going to try and finish putting up some shelves and some tiling in the bathroom paint in the dining room and just you know just casually enjoy the next couple of weeks I love it. Living in a house that we are now paying a mortgage for and enjoying it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What about you? How are you feeling? So I am feeling, so today I'm feeling good. Um, As you you know, and I guess those of you who listen every week, I have sort of alluded that it has been a difficult time over the last couple of months, but I am feeling good. And hopefully at some point in the future, I will maybe share a bit more deeply because I do do think it's important that these things are spoken about when you feel comfortable about talking mm. talking about them yeah. um i think so, when you share yours i'll share mine as well okay there we go well, there you go yeah that's a pact so but today i'm feeling good and i think it's largely because my highlight of the week was i went to amsterdam i went to amsterdam with my youngest sister and we had the most amazing time like I was posting a lot on my stories and literally I just posted food because that's literally what I went there for. I went there to sleep and to eat. Oh, amazing. That's literally what I did. Like we, I'm I'm usually quite anal about planning trips and stuff. Like I yeah, usually yeah. need to have like an itinerary of everything, but we kept it, we actually kept it really like fluid. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a few places that I'd earmarked that I wanted to see. So I knew I wanted to go to like the Anne Frank Museum um, I knew I wanted to go to this like cocktail museum. Like, there's a few places, mm. but the so, so the Anne Frank Museum was the only place that I'd actually like booked in advance because you have to, otherwise you won't yeah. get in. Um, but everywhere else, we just were sort of like you know had a look on TikTok. Oh, this looks great. Let's go. And then so it was lovely. Um, it was nice to just unwind. Um, yeah, 
had a really great time. So that's my highlight. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. And I did, and I did try the whole, the little herb over there. That's (laughs) enjoy yourself. Honestly, I, I was as high as a kite, like literally. And again, it's just, it's not my thing. Like, by any stretch of the imagination but I thought you know what YOLO I'm in Amsterdam and it's so strange how like normal it is over there it's normal over there isn't it yeah like you just walk into a cafe and you just order it like you order a drink <laughs> <laughs> well like they say when in Rome in it exactly so when in Rome and yeah and I did that and it's all good so um we won't dwell too much on that but yeah kind of good time <laughs> that was my highlight and just spending time with my sister as well was great like of course, of course. Just, just me and her because they're between like there's a 10 year age gap between me and my youngest sister mm. so you know a lot of the time you feel like you're in completely different stages of life yeah so this was really nice to just spend some really good quality time experience some new things with her and yeah eat and sleep and yeah all good nice i love that for you that's amazing because you absolutely deserve all of that enjoyment. Thank you. I want to go back because there was quite a few places I didn't get to go to, but you know, that is pending. <sighs> all right. Mm. Let's so, get into it. So there, as usual, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, but we are going to rewind a little bit because over the last few weeks we've been doing quite a lot of popular culture stuff, which has been fun. But we're going to go back, I guess, to the heavy stuff. And um, there was a huge development this week, or by the time this comes out, I guess, last week, um, that Chris Cabber, um, who was unfortunately killed last year. So let's just rewind a little bit. So Chris Cabber was a 24-year-old black man, and he was driving an Audi um, in Streatham Hill when he was shot in the head um, in September of last year. Um, now, you you know, he wasn't shot by like a gang member or anything. No, it was actually an armed police officer, right? This was here in the UK by a fire, firearms officer. Um, and of course, there were so many protests after that because Chris was actually unarmed at the time. So it's not like he was an actual threat. So there were a lot of questions around why did this happen? How did this happen? It just seemed like such a senseless loss of life. So let's fast forward now, um, almost a year now, and um, the Crown Prosecution, they said that a firearms officer had been charged in connection with his death. Um, the officer hasn't been identified. At the, mo- at the moment, he's only being referred to as NX121. And there was a review of the evidence by the IOPC. So there was a full investigation, and I guess they felt that was there was enough evidence to charge this police officer So last Thursday, he appeared at Westminster Magistrate Court, um, where he was formally charged. He was asked to confirm his identity, yadi, yadi, yah. Yeah. Um, Before I go into my... There is more about this topic, and we will kind of go into it. But initially, what were your thoughts when you heard that a police officer had been charged? My first reaction was, okay, so now what? Mm. Like... It's great that someone is charged, but until that person has been delivered the swift justice that they deserve, aka prison for life, 
there's not much else I can say, really. Hmm. I mean, it's yeah. great that, you know, a police officer has been charged and we're now going down this avenue of, you know, getting justice. But until the justice has been served, then it's it's a bit sad, really, because the, not the joy, obviously, but the anticipation oh. of seeing justice happen just isn't there because nine times out of ten nothing happens so when someone says oh this person has been arrested we're finally going to get justice i'm like girl i'm too old for this when the person is going to prison for the long amount of time that they need to be that's when i will get my hopes up but as we've seen by history no one gets no one gets the justice that they deserve so the energy just isn't there at the moment. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt, I was actually quite surprised, if I'm being completely honest. I was very surprised when I saw the headline that somebody, a police officer, he had been charged because I just guess that I just, I, we have no, I have no hope in, in the criminal justice system, particularly where the Met Police are concerned. Um, mm. Because we have seen before um, I think one of the most um, notable cases was the Charles, Men- Charles Menendez case mm, where mm. he was killed. And I, I mean, I don't, there was no, nobody was brought to justice there. Do you know what I mean? So I just kind of felt that it would be pushed to the side as, you know, one of the casualties of doing your job, basically. But so I was surprised. Um, but then once you kind of get over the initial like, oh, OK, then you're thinking, oh, God, well, then now what? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the fallout now going to be? Mm. Because we we know that this country has historically has a very um, has a problem with actually addressing the truth and mm. actually addressing what the problems are. We kind of beat around the bush. We never really get to the point. Um, and I did do a bit of Googles around some of the statistics concerning police officers and being charged and that kind of stuff. And um, what I found was that the last time a police officer was successfully prosecuted in the UK concerning the death of somebody um, in custody was 1969. Can you see? Can you see so, why I'm just like, okay, so now what? Yeah, I'm, I was trying to like, nobody should quote me on this because I did do Googles and that's what I could find. And I, I was trying to like really verify that. Um, I did find that in addition, at least two police officers... Police forces since 1990 have been found guilty of breaking health and safety law relating to unlawful killings, but no individual has successfully prosecuted for killings directly. Um, so what we're seeing is, you know, quite a significant development. Um, mm-hmm. But what usually happens is cases get investigated internally by the um, is it the CPS? Yeah, and. Usually what happens is they'll say that the killing wasn't unlawful. Yes, that exactly. You're exactly right. And that's how they get away with not mm-hmm. being charged or like criminally prosecuted. Yeah, because also when they say things like death in custody, it's mm. a really broad term. Mm. So it's not limited to deaths which occur just in prison or in police custody. Mm. Um, because an example of death in custody could be when somebody could, you know, unalive themselves do you know what I mean like that is considered a death in custody that isn't necessarily a police officer doing anything so because it's such a wide and broad term that's probably why so yeah so it's just um but the thing is when you look at the statistics around 
black people that have died in custody it's quite a large number hmm funny that but then we can only point to at least one conviction you know of somebody of a police officer being held accountable so mm-hmm. clearly when we look back at what's happened in the past it doesn't necessarily give you a lot of hope that this could potentially actually lead because being charged is one thing but the next thing is actually to be convicted yeah yeah um, I, think, and- I think for me it's like i i don't know how but i do have hope but i can't give myself the capacity to bring that hope to the surface when mm-hmm. historically nothing has happened yeah so i have that hope but that hope is guarded because that hope is really precious yes so I, i'm exact i feel exactly the same so yeah I'm, I'm very limited in how much hope i can openly display so publicly mm-hmm. until something actually happens and then i can feel then confident not even hopeful mm-hmm. but confident yeah. and then once that confidence builds then i can fully be hopeful yeah yeah because we have to remember we're talking about the met police here exactly we're talking about hundreds of years of just systemic corruption mm-hmm. that yeah. needs to be not even unpacked it needs to be addressed first then unpacked and then the application the successful application of uh, solutions based approaches to making things better yeah and that's going to take a lot of time well i mean we we have spoken at length on not just on the pod but on the channel about the various reviews and whatnot of the Met Police and mm. every single time it's the same result. But so, yeah, we're talking about an institution that has been shown to be time and time again, you know, racist, homophobic, transphobic, you know, all of the phobics, literally, mm-hmm. that is all of them. That is the police. Yeah. You know, just very recently, in the last few months, the most prolific sex offender is a police officer. Right. So when you just sort of can off on the backdrop of all of that, you just think, mm. and then the recent developments since um, the police officer charged with Chris Cabber's death, a number of police officers in London have decided to step back from firearms duty. Um, the Met said that many firearms officers were worried about how the decision to charge this police officer impacts them. So because of that, armed officers from other forces are being deployed um, as a contingency measure. It's interesting because when I first read that article, in my head, I thought they had stepped back, maybe in kind of like solidarity for, you know, Chris Cabot. Oh, please. (laughs) Split second. Sorry. What a split second for a split of a split for a split second and then i have to go back to the beginning of the article and read it again and i was like ah because they want to cover their nyash that's why mm-hmm. <laughs> they they said we want to be allowed to shoot the blacks free we like what are you guys doing here to shoot the Negroes. <laughs> we... <laughs> sorry i know it's i know do. it's not funny but <laughs> not like, funny they... at all but do you, know like, what? you get it like they want they want a license to kill, basically. Of course, of but, course. Like, and 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 it's not even they want the license to kill. It's like they're used to it, and they they're used to that license to kill in order to achieve results. Mm-hmm. And yep. part of achieving results is collateral damage. Yeah, and we are the collateral damage. Right. So not the like the um, 
what's the guy that um got killed in the 2000s charles Den- Demenezes. yeah charles Menendez. yeah so the reason why he got killed was because of shoddy intelligence yep and the and the woman responsible for that went on to become the um the commissioner of police so she was essentially was rewarded for the just absolute inept intelligence inept leadership but she was rewarded for it right and somebody unfortunately lost their life so now when you don't have your license to kill now you can't re- achieve the results that you want to achieve because you won't have any collateral damage. You, mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have collateral damage anymore or that collateral damage is now being scrutinised. Right. And you know what's crazy to me as well? Because like when we think of the p- police officers and guns, right, that's not necessarily something you just immediately like associate our police with because, you no. know, your normal sort of Bobby on the street doesn't carry a gun, right? That right. We're not, we're not, this is not America. Like police officers don't just walk around with guns. It's a special unit who are allowed to carry firearms in this country. Yeah. Um, and and they are trained as well. Yeah, exactly. They're specially trained um, and they have to be given this special ticket or something that they have to carry in order to be able to carry a firearm on the street. So, and again, it's usually concealed, like all of this kind of stuff. So mm. it, that whole unit is very specialized, highly trained, all of that stuff. Um, but what I just find like, I don't even know the words to even describe what how I felt when I read this, but I just thought to myself, okay, so the Met Commissioner, so Sir Mark Rowley, he is the Met Commissioner, and he said on Friday that many firearms officers are understandably anxious and were reflecting on the potential price of such weighty responsibilities. So I thought to myself, okay, so if you're a police officer who is tr- a trained marksman, there is at no point in your career did you ever consider the fact that you may kill someone. Of course you did. I'm trying to think this heavy weight on your shoulder. Bruh, you have a gun in your hand. You have a gun. That, like, that, that is the weight on your shoulder. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You, had a, you have a gun. So, like, what, what, I'm now reconsidering the responsibility, the heavy price. Like, sure, like how, how are these people trained? Right. Because surely when you are trained as a marksman, you will always have in the back of your mind that you may kill someone. Right. Un- un- unless you know that and want to be able to get away with it. Exactly. Because there's a difference between, again, like law, even though the whole killing thing or whatever and carrying a firearm is just not really my thing. But there is a difference between, you know, a lawful killing as in it was necessary in order to, I don't know, prevent something catastrophic happening. Mm. The person was an immediate threat or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like there are various reasons as to why that decision was necessary in that moment mm. versus you just took a decision because you saw a black man in a car, in a very nice car, right? And you shot him, right? Mm. And and also it has to be stated, he was not armed. Yes, apparently the car that he was in was linked to a firearm, but he was shot in the back of the head. Right. So he wasn't an immediate threat, right? So again, none of us were there. Yeah, so none of us were there, but let's just go on with what we know. He was in a car, right? He was shot in the back of the head. So the presumption is that he was not facing them. Mm. So so where was was the threat? And also... Also, he was wearing a twenty thousand pound watch. He was wearing a Rolex. That Rolex has nowhere is nowhere to be found. Mm. Who took the Rolex? Mm. So 
for me, we need to look at just what we know. And the the IOPC would have done their investigation because look, it's been about it's been a year since this happened. So clearly, they have done a very thorough investigation. Well, and they presumably. well, presumably, yeah. And they are not satisfied that it was a lawful killing, meaning that he murdered him. So and also, and also, go on. Can we go back to that weight on your shoulders? Oh, my that God. weight on your shoulders should be the reason why you want to do your job properly. Properly, exactly. You're carrying the burden of people's lives in your hands mm-hmm. and protecting communities. Yeah. So you should be wanting to do your job to the best of your abilities. Right. Not because you're afraid that you're getting your license to kill taken away and you might yeah. get sent to prison. Exactly. And they should they should actually welcome something like this because why would you... You would hope that people in those positions who carry, like you, that they say, the weight of this responsibility want to make sure that lives are not just being needlessly lost exactly. because of people's trigger-happy whatever. Or, as we're going to move on to the well-documented racism within the Met Police. Now, we can't talk about this case without referencing the fact that the Met Police is riddled with racism. When I saw Baroness Casey did the work. Yeah, that Casey report, and also we know that the Baroness Casey report is one of many reports. It's Mm -hmm. just, that just happens to be the most recent one. But there have been many reports over the last 20 years. Mm. You could even go back further, but let's just say 20 years where they've all basically said the same thing, that the Met Police is racist. It's just riddled with racism, sexism, Mm. all of that. And there needs to be major reforms. We literally spoke about the Casey report a few podcast episodes ago. Like we've spoken about this. We went, we did a deep dive into the report and there were a number of recommendations and I guess now out of one of those recommendations is Sadiq Khan. They have set up the London Policing Board. Okay, so. Brace yourselves. The London Policing Board is was created to monitor the Met. And I guess the most notable appointment on the London Policing Board is the brother of Stephen Lawrence. Hmm. Now, We've spoken about Stephen Lawrence at length on this channel. Um, on this, so you know everybody knows what happened to Stephen Lawrence, and there was even when the when that happened, there was a report that was commissioned. What that happened after that, the McPherson report, which basically said the same thing as the Casey report, but whatever. Um, so Stuart Lawrence is the brother of Stephen Lawrence, and he has had a very long career. So he's been a teacher about fifteen years, and he's also worked for the Home Office and um hmp belmarsh he's a massive advocate for like you know dni and all that kind of stuff um Mm. so the body has been created to oversee and scrutinize the implementation of improvements that were set out in the baroness casey report Um, as i said the year-long casey review found racism misogyny and homophobia were present across the organization um yeah so I mean, discuss. What do you think of the London Policing Board? I'm just happy that this country has moved out of this 30-year cycle of research and discovery when it comes to racism, homophobia, misogyny in the police. So I'm glad that after 30 long years, the majority of my life, we are now moving into 
not even taking action, but now moving into their era of actually scrutinizing what the Met Police does. Outside of that, again, like hearing news about this police person being charged for Chris Cabber's murder, I'm like, okay, so now what? That's always that's always going to be my next question. Mm. We're going to be doing this. Okay, so now what? Like, what does that mean? What does this London police board mean exactly? Mm-hmm. You know, when we say scrutinise, what does that look like? What powers does the London police board have? Because it's all well in doing reports and scrutinising and, you know, something happens in the police and then the London police board say, well, they need to do X, Y, Z. And then that gets taken into a PR spin. And then all we're doing is just talking about what the police should do. It's like, how is this board's scrutinization of the Met Police going to be transmuted into action within the police force? Well, I mean, that's left to be seen. I mean, just to give you a bit more detail about what they're supposed to be doing. So the board will meet four times a year. Um, The meetings will be held in public and members of the board will provide advice to the mayor in holding the Met to account in delivering reforms. Um, Sadiq Khan said that these members care deeply about policing in London and have an extraordinary range of professional skills and lived experience they can draw on to make a positive difference. Their contribution will be invaluable in driving reform, yada, yada, yada. Yes, you know, I just think that this is no, no. All they've just said is that we're going to meet up once a once a quarter and kiki about the police. Yeah. That's all I heard. Basically, like, I, I, I'm so sorry to sound like so negative, but it is what it is, right? This is a very negative situation. And I think that if we are not starting a conversation mm-hmm. on how do we abolish the police and start again, I don't, it's just, it's a dead end. I'm sorry. Like, I don't believe that the Met Police in its current form can be reformed. So any initiative or any conversation or any board or whatever that seeks to rehabilitate or reform the police, to me, is a dead end. It's not going to go anywhere. And we will be here again next year. The amount of stories we have heard just this year alone, like we don't even need to go back as far as 30 years, just the last six months is disgusting. Every other week, every day, there is a report about a police officer who's been engaged with this, that, this or that, homophobia, misogyny, sexual assault, uh, rape, all of this nonsense. This is all the police. And until we have a serious conversation around, you know, this just doesn't work, None. It's, we're going to be here again. So right. I just think this is this is a great little thing for them all to put on their CVs. And I won't bore any of you by giving you a list of who else is going to sit on the board just google the london policing board i think this is a great thing for them to put on their cv outside of that i do not believe that this will yield any results whatsoever because i've said this time and time again that if what happened to stephen lawrence should have been a defining moment for this country it didn't did nothing yeah yeah We've said this before. We've said this before. So I feel like a broken record. Like what's happened to Stephen Lawrence should have been the moment where this country stood still and said, you know what? This cannot be allowed to ever happen again. Mm. That was over 30 years ago. And here we are, you know, every, it's like every barrister or every makes their career doing a report on the Met Police. Right. That's how they make a name for themselves. But does it actually change the police? Of course it doesn't. 
Exactly. Just telling us, just telling us what your predecessors told us. Right. But it looks good on your CV. Meanwhile, black people are still going to be terrorized by this police force. Women are still going to be terrorized by this police force. Like it's just not going to change. So yeah, I mean, you know, Sadiq, all of you there, man, like, okay, have your little four meetings, you know, four meetings a year, do a little kiki. You're going to have it online so we can see or whatever. And that's going to be it. Right. And it's like, it may seem we're just being very negative, but let's look back at the at the Casey report and let's look at some of the conclusions. I think the, the conclusion was around 30 pages. Mm. But the main summary was, we have identified institutional homophobia misogyny, racism in the Met. This can be seen in overt discrimination, mistreatment and abuse of LGBTQ plus women and black, Asian and ethnic minority officers and staff. Unfair outcomes for these groups inside the organization as, as a result of bias in processes, systems and in attitudes and behaviors. Unfair outcomes in communities that result in underprotection from over-policing or both and a culture of downplaying and denial of discrimination and report and repeated unwillingness to accept and deal with institutional failures that let down Londoners. So there is a across the board failure in tackling discrimination in all of its forms and just a sheer utter unwillingness to accept and do anything about it. Three key highlights that are my favourites. Mm. <laughs> number one it shows that supervisors and senior officers look the other way ignore their management responsibilities and actively engage in discrimination although supposed to provide formal routes to challenges upholding police standards and public confidence the Met's processes for grievance complaints and, miscon and misconduct in particular are perpetuating racism misogyny and homophobia by failing to take action in misconduct when it's reported. So even when the Met Police is supposed to be accounted and upheld to its own police standards, they're actually perpetuating racism, homophobia, misogyny, because they just don't treat any of these issues seriously. Number two, the Met's response to discrimination is wholeheartedly unsatisfactory. Deep in its culture, it is uncomfortable talking about racism, misogyny, homophobia, and other forms of discrimination. And in quotes, people like to grasp things that are operational, that they can get their minds around. They don't like confronting those bigger, difficult challenges. So even here, it's saying they can't even comprehend racism, misogyny, and homophobia because they can't get their heads around it. So how do you expect them to change things that they themselves can't even get their heads around? They just want to focus on numbers and statistics, and that's not how you help Londoners. And again, my third, final and favourite part of the conclusion. Leadership is not about comfort. Failure to grasp difficulties means that issues at the heart of how the organisation runs, its values and policing London get ignored. Things that are not talked about are not addressed. So again, that's just basically saying, if you are comfortable, you're not going to be doing the work. To do the work, you need to be uncomfortable and you need to be talking about the things that you're not used to talking about. And this is a whole deep-rooted institutional 
issue with the Met Police. And like Top said before, it can't be reformed if these issues are so deep-rooted within the Met Police. So I don't know what this London Police Board are going to be doing when they come to Kiki every quarter, if this is the conclusion of the report. Can you not see? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. See, all, all of that is enough to make one think, wow, this is this is in the pits. But then Suella always has to rear her ugly head at some point. And she, as a sitting home secretary, yeah, she decided to weigh in on a live and active case. To me, that is all kinds of unethical, right, to do something like that. But again, ethics and the government don't necessarily go hand in hand. So she said that armed police must not fear ending up in the dock for carrying out their duties. So she's now ordered a review into armed policing after, as we said before, a bunch of officers have handed in their weapons saying that they're worried about the merger charge. The charge, she said that people depend on our brave firearm officers to protect us. So in the interest of public safety, they have to make split-second decisions under extraordinary pressures. She said that officers have her full backing. I will do everything in my power to support them, she said. Can you see? Can you see? So She's literally doing exactly what that conclusion is talking about. Yeah. Instead of facing facing the real issue, which is the, the armed police fear being in the docks, instead of saying right why do they fear this why do they fear being upheld to a certain standard and that fear comes from the fact that they have a license to kill and they're not really thinking about protecting londoners so why not think why not go down that route and solve that issue which will actually help everyone including the police officers and londoners but no you're not you're doing exactly what the conclusion of that report said you're ignoring all of these processes and procedures that are put in place to actually keep these police officers accountable. You're just ignoring it. You're doing exactly what this Casey report has just told us. Mm -hmm. Going down the comfortable route, ignoring issues when the issues are right in your face. Police officers are afraid of being held account to unlawfully killing people. The issue is there, their fear of being held to account. Why would you be feared to be held up to a standard? Mm -hmm. Why? Because you're not doing your job properly. Right. The thing is, is that she, this whole thing is, first of all, I don't feel that a sitting home secretary should be commenting on a live and active case. Exactly. Her words, like, it's it's just outrageous that she could speak so openly about something that is so delicate and so sensitive. And at the center of all of this, a young man has lost his life, right? So the only words of support this one should really be offering is to the family of the victim here and right. saying that we will do everything to ensure that this doesn't happen again, right? Or she could have said something like, look, there's been a, there's a full investigation going on to get to the bottom of this, to ensure that, you know, our firearms officers are making the right decisions, anything. But she, nope, she didn't. She wanted to side with the police. And it's so, it's disgusting because she knows exactly what her words will do. It will continue to incite hatred and racism because this country already has a racism problem, right? 
it doesn't take much to stir up anti-blackness in this country. It really doesn't. Like, you just have to exist and you just see the comments everywhere. So it's not like anybody has to do anything extraordinary for racists to come out. But for the for the Home Secretary to come out and, and essentially sanction an unlawful murder. So what are we talking about here in terms of reforming the police then? Exactly. Like, what, are what are we talking me? about? Like, on one hand, we have the Casey report that tells us that the police have all these problems. And then on the other hand, you have a man who was unlawfully killed. So surely, do we not link the two? Right. Do we not see that perhaps maybe there was some bias involved as to why the police officer acted so harshly, so irrationally, so quickly? We don't even have to say bias anymore. The Casey no, report yeah. is racism. Yeah, like, like, it's like, beyond. It's beyond the word bias. It, uh, completely. Like, I just, I like when, when they're not connect. It's like they're not connecting the dots on purpose. Like, on one hand, we can say, okay, Baroness Casey, you did that. You did that, girl. You know, you told us what we already know. Thank you. Thank and you. yeah, thank you and good night. And then on the other hand, we're like, oh yeah, but I mean, they have such responsibilities, and they just don't blah blah blah. And it's just like, well, no, we, we know that the police are racist. So surely, maybe. Stay with me here. Maybe they saw a black man in a car and race came into it. Yeah. Would they have acted so harshly if it was a white man in the car? Right. Probably not. This is what I'm saying. We say, as we said this before, when we spoke about some other cases where you can't ignore the part that race plays in all of our interactions. Right. Because potentially this whole situation might have ended differently had Chris Cabba been a white man. We see it all the time. We see it all the time that the way the police approach a situation, depending on the race of the person, is whether they diffuse or they add they add fuel to the fire. Mm. But it's like again, the UK is just a nation of deflecting and distractions, and that's why we have report after report after report because ultimately, like nobody actually wants to do the work. Not really, anyway. Right. Because there are a lot of people that walk around this country that ha- that probably have no idea about the McPherson report because they're probably too young to know about it. Mm. They weren't around at the time. So their case to reference now will be the Casey report. But for those of us who are old enough, we'll, we'll remember the previous ones. Exactly. So it's no, none of this is new. And also, I'd, I'd like to add that, you know, having Stephen Lawrence's brother on the board, it's giving PR... Of course, oh, do you know what? I That's exactly what I wanted to say. That's no disrespect to him and the work he has done or the work that he is going to do on this board. Like, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even shading this London police board. You know, it is what it is. I just want action. But at the same time, part of me is like, has this family not suffered enough? Has this family not done all the work enough? Now they have to do even more work to keep the Met Police accountable for their actions. It's like, can this family not have a break? I mean... They're just giving PR and I'm like... It's, it's a great look for the London Policing Board or whatever. It's a great look for them to have the brother of Stephen Lawrence sit on that. It's a great look for them because what it does show... Um, and whether this is their intention or not, but because we we do know that there has historically been a bit of a fractured, strange relationship with the Lawrence family and the police mm. because of how they handled the case. So moves like this do at least show us on this side that, OK, maybe some of those wounds are starting to heal mm. and mm. maybe they are working together because yeah. we all have a shared goal here. Yeah. You know, we all want the police to work and yada, yada, yada. I get it. Um, it's like, if that's your choice, 
like fine go ahead do you Mm -hmm. my critique isn't towards him oh of course not all the lawrence family Mm -hmm. my critique is towards sadiq khan and the london police board itself yeah popping him up as this sort of like almost like the face of solving the issue within the police force yeah, of course, because his brother, that case is, is for lack of a better word, is iconic. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it, it is what it is. Like, that is the most, I, you know, I, we always say, like, that is the number one case around, when we talk about race, race relations, and all that kind of stuff, you, you cannot not reference the Stephen Lawrence case. Right. It just is what it is. So, and it, it definitely did spark a massive review and look into policing. Yeah, there were there were there were issues before, but that case catapulted the Met Police to the forefront. Mm. And they had to take these things seriously after that case. And then again, we've just had a domino effect since then of different reviews. And that case is what sparked all of this. So to have his brother in, included in it, yeah, it's almost like a full circle moment. Yeah. It's like it's giving they're trying to serve poetic justice, but all they're serving is we see each other, okay? Mm-hmm. Chris sees the London Police Board. Like, I see you, Sadiq Khan. We see each mm-hmm. other. So don't try yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean I will add, like, you know, there probably is on some level, yes, there there is a willingness to want to do to sort to solve this because it is his responsibility. This is part of his role. Yeah. London is his job. Mm. So of course I completely get that he needs to be seen to be acting. So so this is what he feels there needs to be done. And as as negative as I feel, and I don't want to say that I'm feeling negative, I'm just being realistic. Yeah. Right. As re- you know, I just don't believe it's going to do anything. But I mean, I, at least we can give him the fact that, OK, he's doing something. Yeah. Um, but I just think at this point in time, I just don't believe that's enough anymore um, because I just think it's been over 30 years and just being seen to do something is what gets people killed. Mm. And that's just what it comes down to. Like we need actual action. Otherwise, it's just never going to stop. And the police are going to continue to... And we're just talking about the London Met. We haven't even spoken about the rest of the UK. Yeah, like we haven't even touched on the other outer places. Like we're just talking about London. The UK is made up of other cities. And um, I don't know if people just think that the London or the Met Met Police is the whole of the UK. No. I'll tell you this one anecdote. So I, I my first year of uni, I, I graduated from University of Westminster but my mm-hmm. first year of uni, I went to Manchester and I went to uni in the early 2000s. And one of my classes was at a university site just outside of Manchester mm-hmm. in Warrington. And in Warrington was a huge uh, police training facility. So there's one, there was one in Warrington and there's also the most well-known one, which is Hendon. And... When we used to go out in the student union in Manchester, all of the people from the police training centre would come down. And it was it was so funny because everyone got on really well. But then I left Manchester Uni, came back to London. But it was maybe a year or two later, there was this big, big news story about sev- like egregious institutional racism in that training centre in Warrington. And I was like, wow. 
could I have been like talking to or partying or even just been around someone that deep down was just getting trained to just see black and brown people as targets or objects or do you know what I mean Mm. that was like my real first because I've never really had any interactions with the police well you're lucky very lucky very lucky lucky. yeah but that was my first kind of like realization of like wow I could have come close to something very egregious yeah and I'm so happy that I came back to London (laughs) and that was like the mid-2000s yeah yeah Honestly, I mean, London definitely has its issues. But you know when you come out of that London bubble and you... Listen, one of the reasons why I came back to London was because I need to to not be around the racism. I'm not saying there's no racism anymore. But it's definitely changed a lot since the um, Mm mid-2000s. I I could go and move to Manchester now. Yes, of course. I mean, it's definitely improved. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely large, like, black populations in different parts outside of London, absolutely. Yeah, yeah But you know, sure. when you hit, you know when you hit those, like, Emmerdale sides, it's just, like, what brand of racism is, like, God. It's like, wow. And if you want to come and tell me that you want to go and move to Atlanta or to New York. Uh, like, honestly, it's, it, them places there, them, their houses are like a tenor, so it would be lovely. But I'm just, I think... I'm okay with this brand of racism. I'm okay with cool, smooth, undercover lover racism. Where <laughs> you don't know it's happened until a week later yeah. and you're questioning. Yeah. yeah. Right? And that happens at least once a day. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Honestly, just, just UK. I mean, look, guys, we, this case, the Chris Kappa case, as we said at the very beginning, we were, you know, somewhat surprised um, at the officer being charged but before it actually goes to trial and all of that this is it's going to be a very long time it's not probably going to be for another year at least so at the moment he is out on bail um we do not know who he is because he's been protected by the state so we don't know who he is um and there is a actual protection order in place for us to not know who he is so he has to um, forfeit his passport and is not allowed to apply for any international travel documents. So he has to remain in the UK, essentially. Um, and he's, yeah, he's been protected by the state. So I guess we will follow this story and see where it goes to. Will it lead to a conviction? Psh, part of me feels like it won't because they won't want to set that precedent. Mm. Um, but we'll see. Stranger things have happened. We'll see. But I, I do think it's... I do want the families to get justice because what happened was out of order it should not have happened so we'll see we'll see Alrighty then so last story that we're going to touch on is something that i'm going to really try very hard not to laugh throughout this story i'm going to try very hard because i have already forgot what we were going to talk about and then i just remember (laughs) (laughs) because i have already i've already got my laughter out of the way um but when i talk about it it just boils up in front of me um so Basically, on the 15th of September, Rishi Sunak announced that the American bully XL type dog will be added to the breed of dogs that are banned in the UK. So there are about four breeds that are banned in the UK. And he is saying that the breed will be banned before the end of next year. Um, And this is because um, that breed of dog has been blamed for a rising number of fatal attacks on people. Mm. And I would like to mention that one of 
those, at least one of those fatal attacks has been a child. Mm. And his announcement came actually after the death of Ian Price. He was 52 and he was mauled by two dogs in Staffordshire in early September. So, yeah, so the only reason why we were laughing at the beginning of this story is because there was a protest recently. And honestly, the protest, there's a video circulating on the timeline. And if you have a chance to watch it, please do. Um, So if you don't know what the American Bully XL is... It's the largest dog of the American bully type. So it's actually not a breed that's recognised by the UK Kennel Club. So I guess the UK Kennel Club was like the official board that mm. recognises dogs in the UK. Um, but they don't recognise this breed of dog because it's actually a crossbreed. Mm. So again, when I'm preparing for this episode, I'm learning all types of things because I I mean, I, I don't really concern myself with dogs. Um but the, but this dog was developed by crossbreeding various types of dogs. I find this so inhuman, like so unethical. Like, what is this? Like, it's gross. Everything like, about it. Yeah, you're just bre- you're just breeding like various dogs to create a type of dog that you want. Because, like, what anyway? So, the American XL Bully is actually close to the Pitbull Terrier, which is actually a breed that's banned in the UK. Mm. Um, and it's a crossbreed between the Pitbull Terrier and other breeds, including the English Bulldog and the Old English Bulldog and American Bulldog. So, yeah, about four or five different breeds yeah. here. Even the names like Terrier, as in Terror, yeah. and Bulldog, like a bull, a big bull. Mm-hmm. Even the name XL Bully, like really egregiously aggressive words. Yeah, and then people will be like, oh, oh, my T-Rex, he's just so cuddly. Oh, <laughs> my God. And I'm sorry, but this XL bully looks racist. I'm sorry. Oh, Dems, that dog looks like it guards the gates of hell. It's such an ugly dog, and it, it just looks aggressive. Oh. It just looks aggressive. So when I saw this, I was just like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, welcome this, yep, yeah, absolutely. I think, because the way I see it is that I see it like... That you know when people try to like domesticate like lions and tigers and stuff, and then, they and get then like, oh, enough. yeah, and then you know the dog just gets upset one day, and or the the lion, and then it does what it it's like it, it's meant to do. Like this is its nature. Yeah, it's it's by nature an aggressive dog. It's by nature an aggressive animal. So I think that having those kind of dogs being owned by just your everyday person, I, it's a danger to society. And I can definitely see why there's concern over these dogs. Mm. Um, what people are saying is that it's the owner, not the dog or not the breed. That basically, if you have an irresponsible person owning a dog like this, then of course the dog's going to kill people. Of course, but it's both. It can be both. Like you said, these breeds of dogs are bred to have this behaviour and they're they're bred to be bigger and ballsy. So on top of that, now you're going to have a dickhead owner. Of course, someone's going to get injured along the way. And I would say, like we were saying before, that it just sounds very unethical, but I'm thinking about it now and it just sounds exactly what I would expect from a certain demographic tinkering very colonial like tinkering with different breeds kind of make this different kind of dog get an aggressive dog a more timid dog like it's kind of like tinkering with life and it's just like it actually sounds kind of normal when you think about it i think it's really cruel i think it's really cruel 
the way that over over time that as you say they've just been tinkering around with these dogs to create these kind of breeds that you know um speak to people's i guess humans egos and speak to their desires to want to create this kind of dog that does this does that what's the word anthropomorphizing oh that's a big word (laughs) yeah it's it's when uh, a a human being kind of projects their personality onto another animal or object right right okay learn something new every day you look at when you look at a cat or a dog you kind of you see yourself in them you see their personality you bring out Mm. almost like a a a human side to them obviously these animals have personalities and whatnot Mm. Um, yeah like humans like tinkering with life like that i'm just like of course you're going to get all of these like random breeds that just want to like more people and then it will always be the aggressive breeds that dickheads will want to own i mean of course when i saw the video and the, the type of owners it just as i said i just i just find it really cruel because like there are so many different crossbreeds out there that a lot of these dogs then have a lot of health issues because you know, they're not supposed to exist. So you have some dogs that then, you know, they have their legs are too short or their noses are too narrow or whatever. Like they actually can't live and function like, and it's just, it's just cruel. So on one hand, I kind of feel like, okay, maybe again, and I'm not somebody that knows a lot about like dog associations and all this kind of stuff. And cause I'm only just starting to understand a bit more just because we had to talk about it. But I just think that because there have been a lot of conversations around, is this the right move from the government? Like, should they be banning the breed or should they be going after like these backstreet illegal breeders? Um, and I think actually you could do it all, essentially. Yeah, I think yeah, sure. there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, maybe there needs to be a wider scope here and we need to look at the backstreet breeders who just find these two or three random dogs and put them together and create these breeds that they need to be targeted to because that is a concern. Like, because I wouldn't want to be in a park with any of these dogs. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't want to be, because again, and a lot of these attacks have happened in the streets Mm. or in the park when people are just going about their business. And as I say, like, if if these dogs are just innately aggressive fine they might be all good one second but in it they, they could snap exactly and, and once they snap that's it like though i don't feel safe knowing that people own those kind like nobody would be comfortable with people owning a lion because as as nice as that lion might be on monday might be fine on tuesday come friday now you might look at it funny right and it's going to it's going to revert back to its innate nature which is to be aggressive and to mm. attack and that's what these dogs clearly do I just don't even know why you want to own those sort of breeds anyway. Like I like I like cats and dogs. I just don't understand why you would want one of those aggressive ones. I mean, I feel like some people think, see it as a status thing, no? What? You've got an aggressive dog. Like mm-hmm. what kind of human are you? I w- honestly, if you watch when I watched that video from the protest, clear, a lot of what I was seeing was that some of them felt more safe with these dogs around. I'm thinking, "Hmm, why do you feel more safe with a killer dog?" Right? Um like they feel more safe or some of them it's a status thing because yeah walking down the street because one of the ladies was saying that you know her dog is so lovely and blah 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 when I walk out the street at night I feel safe with my dog and I just I just don't feel that the general public should own animals that have the power or the strength to basically kill people when when they say I feel safe walking down the street with my dog it's like when an American says I want to keep my gun because I feel safe 
I have my gun with me at home because I feel mm. safe. Exactly. I walk down the street with my gun because it makes me feel safe. Everything is all linked. And even though all of those people protesting, it's like, like you mentioned in your tweet, interest rates are going up. People can't afford their own homes. The price of food is going up, but you're protesting for, for, for Lassie. Are you okay? And the question is, and the answer is no, they're not okay. Because they're protesting for Lassie because of a certain reason. And not just any old Lassie, a Lassie that, that is bred to be aggressive. Everything is linked. It, you're right. I will even link it back to the, the Baroness Casey report. If you aren't willing to have the hard conversations and come out of your comfort zone, if you aren't willing to have the real conversations and tackle the real problems head on, problems that you can't even get your head around, then we are going to come back to this place where people would rather put the life of a dog above the life of a black person. And that's, and I'm not saying that, you know, a human being's life is more important than a dog's life. But I'm saying black people are disproportionately, <laughs> disproportionately like stop and searched, mm. you know, dying in police custody, you know, being shot by armed police. But for some reason, you lot will love up your lassie. But when it's time to come out and talk about the police and the way the police is, you know, abusing power, it's crickets. The same thing with the NHS. Black women are nine times, nine times, four times more likely to die during childbirth. Mm. But when it's time to talk about that, it's crickets. But you are out protesting for Lassie. <laughs> Everything is linked. That Baroness Casey report, you could relate that to the education system. You could relate it to the NHS, the police force, the way certain demographics want to protect Lassie over their fellow human beings. It's just a lot. Sorry, I had to get really deep there, but no. But you're, but you're right, and it's, it's just, I just, like I just said in my tweet, I just think Britain's destiny is tied in a calabash somewhere, like, right? Because watching that video, I thought to myself, I cannot be sharing this country with these people, right? Like, what the actual heck? I, I completely understand how people feel about their pets and stuff, but I just don't see how people can see some of the attacks and not think okay something clearly needs to be done i'm not saying that the ban is necessarily the right thing i i welcome it because really and truly i'm not here for those dogs but (laughs) the fact that you're just out here like no my dog my dog is just like again we see all the time people just center themselves in a much wider issue that is bigger than you and that is always the problem that this individualistic mindset about everything and yes fine your t-rex is fine but what about all the others? Right. Um, and that kind of individual mindset just doesn't get us anywhere. Um, and yeah, before I get into a whole conversation around community and whatnot, I think we're just going to wrap it there. Um, because honestly, like, but you know, because there were some, there were some other like interesting points that came up about this whole American Excel bully thing. Some people said that, you know, the swiftness with which the government acted potentially has something to do with class. Um, that this dog is actually associated with, I guess, people that aren't necessarily of a particular class. Whereas if we're talking about dogs that are seen to be um, more upper middle class, would the government act with such swiftness? I don't know. It doesn't change the danger, but I just thought it was an interesting angle. 
it wasn't it is an interesting angle but at the same time let's stop breeding these these silly breeds and let's have a better control over you know breeding dogs and whatever agreed agreed all right so we're going to move on to this week's spotlight and this week's spotlight is going to be somebody who is a massive advocate for racial justice. She's a community activist. She's an abolit and can never say this word. Um, people who don't want there to be prisons. Um, there we go. Um, and she is the director at Forefront Project. Her name is Temi Mwale. Mm. And I've been following her for a really long time. And she, as I say, is a wonderful advocate for racial justice. Like whenever there is an injustice in this country, Temi is at the forefront. Like she's out there and not just, you know, in a social media kind of way, but actually on the ground doing Mm. the work. Like she has long spoken about like, you know, prison reform, reform of policing. Um, She's obviously spoken quite heavily about... Um, the Chris Cabba case, which we spoke about today, but mm. I wanted to spotlight her, particularly her organization called the Forefront Project, because we know that a lot of grassroots organizations don't necessarily get the funding, don't necessarily get the um, attention that they deserve. Um, and they're a community organization who support people to reimagine peace, justice, to bring healing to the forefront. Um, <clears throat> and they are based in London. And we will leave all of their details in the description bar below. But their Instagram is four, as in the number four, Front Project. And if you want to follow Temi, um, her Instagram is T-E-M-I-M-W-A-L-E. We absolutely love the work you're doing. Um, If you go on her page, she has a link tree that is linked to all of her work. So she's got a website, obviously, to the Forefront Project. But... I think if you can support, then please do. There is an option to subscribe to Forefront. Um, Mm -hmm. They also have a PayPal. There is also a PayPal running at the moment for the Justice for Chris Cabber campaign. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, not all of us can be out on the front line. But, you know, if you do have the means to support financially, then please do. All righty, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Whatever you're up to this week, we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. It looks like that the country is finally resetting itself and the weather is getting back to normal because it's been rain and gloom and doom. Um, so <laughs> whatever you're up to this week, <clears throat> we hope you have a good week. Dems, have you got any parting words? Drink your water, guys. Stay hydrated. Just because it's not hot anymore doesn't mean you need, don't need to be hydrated. Exactly. And you still should wear SPF. Yes. Right. <laughs> always, dropping, always dropping the gems on this on, on this podcast. All right, my lovelies. Have a wonderful week. And we will let's not see you. I'm, I still can't get used to saying this, but you, we will be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Very taxing and can be quite thank, thankless, but we wanted her to know. Are you being serious? (coughs) (laughs) Sorry. (coughs) Just please leave.